So this past week, we talked about how to study the Bible. And I hope you got some good ideas and insights on, on what that is. And for those of us who may not have been here last week, let me just quickly go over uh, on how to study the Bible. The first thing we talked about was choose a translation. And choose a translation. There are many out there, numerous. I can't even tell you how many. And some are better than others. Some are more literal, word for word, while others are more paraphrase and idea for idea. Um, Some were translated using several people. Others were translated just by one person. And I will say this, translations that were done by one person, those you need to be more cautious about. Because not every time, but a lot of time, those are the guys who say, I had a special revelation from the Lord. And here is the, the real meaning of Scripture. And then they go off and it's totally not what the Bible says. Uh, but choose one that, that you understand and, uh, and go from there. You also, when studying the Bible, you want to be consistent. You know, pick a time, a place, uh, you know, and have a plan when you, when you study. Because if you go in without a plan, how bad is that? Can you imagine if, if construction workers started building without a plan? How would that building end up? Probably horrible because they would maybe start with one idea and then, you know what, let's try this and let's try this. And it would be an utter disaster. So when you, when you go in to study Scripture come up with a plan. And there's plenty of them out there, uh, whether you go to a bookstore and pick up a book, or online, or nowadays, if you have a smartphone, there's an app called the Bible app. If you haven't used it, download it. It's great. Not only does it have numerous translations that you can use, but there are also numerous um, devotionals that you can use as well. And some are better than others. Some are for like maybe a two or three day devotional, while others are for a year. So you can get a plan. Uh, Something that's also crucial is you need to understand the context. Go through and find out, because it's so easy to take a verse out of context, especially with our current translations, where we have chapter and verse. Because were were chapter and, and verses written in the original language? No, they weren't. And so we divvy that up, which I'm grateful for because it helps us to look up certain passages as a group or study, but it's also a danger. And I I think this is funny because last week I talked about how it bugs me how people take verses out of context and make them say what it's not really saying, which is a danger. Uh, But I think it's funny because this last week I was listening to a podcast about a topic, and I'm like, well, you know, there's this verse that says that, and then he mentioned that verse, and wouldn't you know, I have taken that verse out of context myself, and I looked at it, and I double-checked, I'm like, they're right. (laughs) So even I am susceptible to that. So that's just a danger um, that we need to watch out for, because if you take anything out of context, you can really make anything say whatever you want. And how many of us have maybe walked in into a conversation halfway? We heard a comment made and we're like, oh boy. And we jumped to conclusions because we didn't understand the context. So understand the context. Uh, read slowly and ask questions. Don't just, man, I read my, my verse for today, my uh, chapter for the day, so I'm good. 
but read slowly and in, con- and, you know, in context and ask questions. Uh, today, last week and today, you know, we've been working our way through Philemon. Short book, only 25 verses. But as we see here today, you know, we're only spending a couple weeks on Philemon. But we could really study uh, Philemon for a lot more weeks because there is so much in there if we just stop, read slowly, and ask questions. Um, the last thing we mentioned last week, which was, was one of the first things you want to do, is, is pray for wisdom. Ask God to, sh- to reveal to you what he wants you to see. Because it doesn't matter how many times you've read the Bible. It doesn't matter how many times you've read certain passages. There's always something else you can learn. And we talked about, too, why people don't study Scripture. And one thing that I should have mentioned, and somebody actually approached me on this, and like I say, if, if I'm wrong, let me know. And this guy let me know, and, and they're right. One of the reasons we don't spend time in Scripture is because we don't love God. When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment, how did he respond? Do you know? Love the Lord your God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and, and strength. Love God. And he mentions the second is under this, which is love your neighbor as yourself. So a lot of the reasons why we don't, or the main reason why we don't spend time in God's word is because if we're honest with ourselves, do we really love God? Or do we love these other things? How many of us, if your favorite show is on, you make time to go to that show? If there's a concert in town and you like who's playing, how many of you will make sure, you, you might even be there online right as it opens to make sure you get good seats? If there's something that you love, you spend all your time and focus. And if you love something, somebody can ask you a question about it, and you're like, ooh, I know everything there is to know about it. And we share it. But maybe we don't love God. And so if you struggle, maybe it's because you don't love God. And, and is love just an emotion? Is it a feeling? Or is it something that we are told to do? God tells us to love. Does that mean he tells us, oh, I want you to, to feel this emotion all the time? No, sometimes loving someone means doing something even when you don't feel like it. Do you love your spouse? What about at 2 a.m. when they need you to do something for them? Do you, if you love them, get out of the bed and, and do whatever it is they need. Love requires sacrifice sometimes. So that's a big hindrance to why we don't spend time in God's word is because, oh, I love my sleep or I love this, or I love that. And so we just don't make time for God. But yet, if we love something, do we make time for it? Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's just a recap real quick of what we talked about last week. And I hope you you were able to put that into practice. And today, we're going to continue on by uh, part two of how to study the Bible as we go through the rest of Philemon chapter 1. But before we do that, let's just bow our heads in a word of prayer. Lord, we come before you, and again, Lord, we thank you for, uh, for all you've done for us. We thank you for this morning. Lord, again, it is so beautiful outside. Thank you for the changes of seasons, even though we may like one or prefer one over the other. Lord, um, thank you 
Lord, in this morning, as we spend more time in your word, I, I just pray that you would open your word, uh, open our eyes, open our hearts, open our ears, Lord, that we would have, that, that we would learn what you want us to learn today. Lord, that we would not be distracted by the things around us, but that we would be fully, uh, completely devoted to you. Lord, I just pray that we would love you more than anything else. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, we talked about how to study the Bible. Today, we're going to start off by talking about what is the Bible? What is the Word of God? Because if we don't know what it is, then we may not even see the importance of it. Why should we study this thing if we don't know what it is? So what is the Word of God? Now, in your notes, there are several scripture passages. We are not going to read through them. Um, because I do want us to get home before the snow <laughs> completely melts. Um, but we're going to go through what a word of God is, and you can, on your own, go back and look up those references. But what does Hebrews 4.12 say that God's word is? It says it's a sword that pierces. In fact, it says it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's a sword that pierces. Psalm 119.105 says that the word of God is a light that shines, right? Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. When it's dark outside, what's the one thing you want to have? A light, a flashlight, right? We want to have a light. You want to be able to see your way. You're walking in darkness, and if you're unfamiliar with the area and you don't have the light, it can be a very scary thing, especially when you hear noises, you know, I, I tell kids, and I, maybe I shouldn't do this, but, you know, they say they're scared of the dark. I tell them, you don't have to be scared of the dark. The dark can't do anything to you. It's the monsters in the dark. <laughs> that's, what you need to be, that's what you need to be afraid of, and, you know. But it's right, because we don't have to be afraid of the dark. But when you hear noises, all of a sudden we're afraid because our imagination goes crazy. What is that? You know, it could be a little mouse. It could be a bear. Like, who knows? It could be a guy laying in wait. We don't know. And, and our imagination runs away with us because monsters, right? Are monsters real? No. No. But in our mind they are. And that's what we need to fight. That, that's what we need to be afraid of. And do we need to be afraid of monsters? No. No. We don't. God's word is a light that shines. Oh, James 1.23. The word of God, it's a mirror that reveals. Now, some of us spend time in the mirror, in front of the mirror, on a daily basis, right? Some of us should probably spend more time <laughs> in front of the mirror than what we actually do. But the fact that God's word is a mirror is also one of the reasons why we don't spend time in God's word. Because what does a mirror do? It shows you what you really look like, does it not? And when we read God's word... Does it show us what we look like? Sometimes God's word is, what is it? Hard to take. It's convicting, isn't it? To realize that we're not perfect. That we have faults. And there's some of us, we don't like to see, what, we don't like to look at what we see in the mirror. So we don't spend much of any time in front of the mirror. Because we just don't like what we're looking at. 
And the same thing with Scripture. We don't like to look in Scripture because it reveals to us who we really are. Old Psalm 119.9 says that the Word of God, it's a path to purity. It shows you, it helps you to live a righteous life. You want to live in a way, in a manner that's pleasing to God? The Bible tells you how. Spend time in God's Word. 1 Peter 1.23, the Word of God, it's a seed that reproduces. It, springs, it, it, it brings forth life. Wouldn't it be great to have a seed, to, have a, to be able to plant corn just once? and never to plant again, and just growing up every year. That'd be great, right? The Word of God is like that. It's a seed that reproduces. Jeremiah 23, 29. It's a fire that consumes. A fire that consumes. Do we need to be afraid of that? Does, does God's fire, does it consume the good stuff or the bad stuff? The bad stuff. So if we're living righteously, we don't have to worry about that. Psalm 119.11, it's a defense against temptation. You know that word? Your word I've hid in my heart that I might not, what? Sin against you. Yeah, memorize God's word. That's why why our church plays such an importance on, on Awana, so that children memorize God's word, so that when they're adults, they remember God's word, so that when they are tempted, they don't have to follow through. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 is another verse that you can put in there to help safeguard your heart against sin. If you don't know what God's word says, are you going to know the difference between right and wrong? Are you going to know what he wants you to do? No. Not as much as, as you would if you actually spend time in God's word and memorize it. 10.17, Romans 10.17, it's the source of our faith. The source of our faith. And Isaiah 48, it's the truth that lives forever. Doesn't that boggle your mind? The Bible, the first parts of the Bible were written over 4,000 years ago. And yet, is that truth? The same today. The, the Bible, who, which was completed almost 2,000 years ago, is still applicable for us today. We can still learn from it. And it's amazing. No matter what the current crisis is in our culture, does the Bible speak about it? Yes. Just because it's old doesn't mean there's nothing new that we can get from it. In James one twenty two, and this A lot of Christians don't get this about the Word of God. But the Bible is meant to transform our lives, not just to inform us. So many people know what the Bible says inside and out even, but it hasn't transformed their life. God gave us the Bible for a reason. And it's not just to know a bunch of stuff. It's so that our lives can be transformed, so that we can be different. So let's spend some time and talk about ways that we can approach the Bible, ways to approach the Bible. How do we go about, what are some, some of the different plans to, to studying God's Word? And there's many different ones. 
But the first one we're going to talk a little bit about is going by a, a book, a book at a time. And there's a lot of benefits by going through a book at a time. One of the benefits, and it's one of the reasons why I typically preach through a book at a time, is because you get the context of it. If you read a book in one sitting or maybe in multiple settings, you get the context of it. But how many of you have ever read, or I'm sorry, watched a movie and you're only partway in? You're so confused because you don't know what's going on. You don't know the plot. You, you're trying to make things, uh, figure out things out. And then you leave and you only finish the end of the movie. You're just like, I just don't understand it. What's going on? When you watch it from beginning to end, you kind of get a flow. Okay, this is what's going on. This is what's happening. Same thing with, with going through a book. Everything's in context. And when you read things in context, it's a lot harder to take things out of context because here it is. But how many times, and I'm guilty of this, you're so familiar with a verse or two that you get through it and you just kind of lose the context because you're so familiar with it. John 3.16, most of us are very familiar with that. And when you're reading John chapter 3, you know, Nicodemus is is talking to to Jesus. And you get to John 3.16, all of a sudden you just forget, oh, Jesus and Nicodemus, they're not even together at this point. For God so loved the world, and you just go on. And then, oh, okay, you got to get back into that. But think about that. That verse that we use so much as a, as a children's verse, was Jesus speaking to a child when that verse, when he said those words? No. He was speaking to Nicodemus, a teacher. What was his title? A teacher of teachers. A teacher of teachers. A well educated person. So John 3.16, while, yeah, we say it as, as children, we memorize it as children, it's profound for us even as, even as adults, even us who are educated. And so take things in context, and that's why it's so good to, to do it a, a book at a time, a book at a time. Even when we went through Acts, over 40 weeks we spend in the book of Acts. That's ridiculous. And Philemon, we're only going to spend two weeks in Philemon, but we could spend probably a couple months in Philemon. We're just going to gloss over it. Well, so there's a book. You can go through a book at a time, study a book, or you could also study a person. Have you ever studied a person in the Bible? One of my favorite people in the Bible is Joseph. Have you ever studied his life? I mean, talk about a kid who had it all. He was his, the, the favorite son out of all of his siblings. He was the favorite one. Any of you were the favorite child? Any of you have a sibling who was the favorite child? Right? It's always somebody else. It doesn't matter who you are, right? Even though if you, even if you are the favorite, you think it's somebody else. But here, Joseph, as a child, had everything he wanted. And then he was sold as a slave by his brothers to his cousins, and then he was falsely accused and falsely imprisoned and then forgot about. And, and how God used that, how God used that to save thousands of people's lives. But you study the life of Joseph. Study the life of, of Daniel. Pick a person and just go through it and, and study what it was like in their culture at the time. And, and you'll be amazed and you'll learn so much about a person just by studying their life. Another way 
that it, it is valid. It's not my favorite way, but it's good, is choose a topic. Choose a topic. And it doesn't matter what topic it is. Chances are the Bible speaks about it. One of the big topics today in our culture, LGBTQ, IA and however many. Does the Bible talk about that? Yes, yes it does. And you can, you can look it up and read all that Scripture has about it. Because is this anything new? Is this something that just creeped up here in the past five, ten years? No. It's been going on for thousands and thousands of years. The Bible talks about it. But one of the dangers of doing a topical study is, again, is you can take a verse and take it out of context. And you can make it talk about this topic when, when you put it in context, it doesn't talk about that topic at all. So it's a valid way to study the Bible because there are certain topics that you can study. Just remember, I'm just going to reiterate it, and I say this to myself because, again, I'm guilty of this, is make sure you read it in context. Find out what's going on. So to do a topical study well is really hard because every verse you use, you got to study that book, study that author, and make sure that it is in context. You can also, another way to approach the Bible is use a daily devotional. We have the daily breads out there. You can use something like that. Again, I, I mentioned the Bible app. There's great devotional resources there that you can use. But use um, something. There are, are podcasts that, that you can listen to. There's several different ways to do a devotional. Now, some people, you know, maybe spend five minutes. Other people, they say, you know what? I've never spent time in God's word. I'm going to pick up a devotional, and I'm just going to spend a couple hours a day reading God's word. Now, is there anything wrong with reading God's word for two hours a day? No, nothing at all. But sometimes people get over-eager, and they, and they get into it, and they, they start out on, on fire, and then it just becomes overwhelming. So sometimes it's best, if, if you're not in the practice of, of spending time in Scripture, start with a few minutes a day and work, and work your way up. It's kind of like going to the gym. Do you just go to the gym first day and say, I'm going to bench 200 pounds? Probably not. Maybe, you know, depending on, on how you're built. But you've got you to gotta work up to it. Another way that's valid is just read through the Bible. Read through the Bible. It's interesting because Naomi, last week in Children's Church, talked to the kids about reading through the Bible. And, you know, when they're done, they can come back and, and let her know about it. Now, there was something that was, that was mistaken. It was taken out of context. But anyways, this child went to their parent and said, hey, we need to read the Bible by next Sunday. And the parent was like, oh, that's a lot. Uh, you know, so that, that parent talked to Naomi about it, and they got it, they got it squared away that, no, it wasn't due this next week. Now, can you read the Bible in a week? You can, actually. You can. Some of you, when you sit down to read a book, yeah, you'll spend three, four, five hours reading a book. But read through the Bible. Again, you don't have to do it in a, in a week. You don't have to do it in a year, although you can. You can. Again, I, I, I mentioned it. I've read it through 
several times throughout a year, within a year. Um, and personally, every time I've done it, I've used a different translation. Because a different translation will kind of puts a different perspective, a different twist on it, um, and kind of makes me see things differently. But again, just going back to the original languages, make sure that the thought that's being portrayed is really uh, what God is really trying to say in that passage. Uh, and if you're not a big reader, maybe you have a maybe you drive a lot, you have a commute. Uh, Again, when I, was, when I was younger, I had the Bible on CD. I don't know, most cars don't even come with CD players anymore. But I put it in a CD, and I would just listen to it. And that, too, was interesting, L- uh, just listening to it. And nowadays, again, you can read it. You can get it um, as, a, as a digital, as an audio file. You can go through it cover to cover from Genesis to Revelation, or you can even go, and I mentioned this before, is you can go through it, cano- uh, cano- uh, I can't think of that word now, cano- I can't even say it now. Chronologically, that's, I'm getting can- canon and chrono mixed up. Yeah, chronologically, which is interesting because you get through the first 11 chapters of, Abraham, of, of Genesis, and then you hit through Job, and then you go back into Genesis. And the way our Bibles are put together, you don't realize that Job came before, and it, it's interesting. Read through it chronologically. It's, it's interesting. So those are several different ways to read through the, the scriptures. Um, other ways to read through the Bible is to read, what, two chapters in the Old Testament, one in the New, and that gives you a different perspective. But even if you just read a verse a day, don't just read it and put your Bible away. Read it and meditate on it throughout the day. Think about it throughout the day. Don't, don't read the Bible as just a, a checklist, but think about it. Just like when you saw that baseball game the other day, you think about it, that football game, you think about it and you talk about it to other people. Hey, did you see that game yesterday? Do that with God's word. Think about it throughout the day. All right, so now that we've gone through that, let's get back into Philemon. Philemon chapter 1, we're going to start with verse 12, but let me just talk a little bit about um, Philemon. Let's, rem- let's see if you remember who wrote Philemon. Paul wrote it. Who, was, who did he write it to? He wrote it to Philemon, right? Other people who are mentioned is probably his wife, his son, and the church that met in Philemon's home. And who was the book written about? Onesimus, right? And we learned last week that Onesimus was a slave, a runaway slave, and we're going to learn more about Onesimus today. Where is Paul when he's writing this book? Where is he? He's home, he's in prison, he's under house arrest, and here he is writing a letter, and just the freedom that God has given him, even though he's in prison, he's still able to write messages. He, he's able to have visitors come in. So here he is, and that puts us all into perspective because we talked about when Paul wrote Philemon, he wasn't coming as a, he wasn't writing as an apostle, but as a prisoner for Christ, as a prisoner for Christ. So let's continue our study in the book of Philemon. We'll start with verse 12. And oh, you know, before we do that, I, I do want to talk about uh, a couple of things that we talked about. He calls Onesimus his child. 
right? Paul calls Onesimus his child. Was Onesimus his child, his biological son? No. So how could Onesimus be his child? How could Timothy be his child? Students, and Paul led them to the Lord. And I asked the question last week, all of us can be parents. You don't even have to be married to be a spiritual parent. All it takes is sharing the gospel, and you're able to lead somebody to the Lord. And then we also talked about uh, verse 11. Let me read that again. Right? Formerly he was useless, talking about Onesimus, but now he is indeed useful to you and, and to me. And we talked about how Onesimus means useful. And how many of us were useful or useless at one point or another? Yeah. Before salvation, we were useless to God, to the church. But how many of us, after we came to know Christ, are now useful to others and those around us? And I challenge you, who are you? What are you? Are you useful or useless? What would you rather be called? Useless. Man, isn't that just encouraging? Anybody here want to be called useless? How many of you have ever been called useless by somebody else? Man, that hurts, doesn't it? That hurts. But we we should be useful, and we can be useful. Because again, the Bible is meant to transform us. So let's read verses 12 to 16. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. There's that word again that we, that we talked about. Just inward emotions, right? My whole being. Sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be, might not be by compulsion but by your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? There is a lot in there. There is a lot in there because here Paul is saying Onesimus was once useless, but now he's useful. Not just to you, but to me. And it's interesting here too what Paul says. I would have been glad to keep him, right? And, And by Roman law, Paul could keep him. As a runaway slave, Paul could claim him as his own. And keep him. But he didn't want to force Philemon's obedience. He wants his permission. And man, how hard is that? Isn't it just easier sometimes to use our authority and say, you're going to do this? Is it much harder to say, hey, are you okay with this? To ask permission? That's hard sometimes to ask permission. Especially when you're one in authority. Which Paul is. Paul had every right to demand obedience, but he chose not to. And I love what Paul says here um, in, verse, in verse 15. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while. Maybe, maybe this is why Onesimus ran away in the first place. 
Maybe it's not your fault. Maybe it's not his. Maybe it's what God wanted. Maybe. Do bad things happen to us? Yeah. Does life ever stink sometimes? It it does. But maybe, just maybe, God is using this to grow you. Maybe God is using this so that somebody can come to know the Lord. Because maybe, just maybe, if Onesimus did not run away, maybe he never would have come to know Jesus Christ as a Savior. Maybe. Because we don't know. We don't know all things. We don't know why God allows this hardship or that hardship. We don't know why God allows this disappointment or that disappointment. But maybe, just maybe, he's using it to glorify him. And so when we go through those hardships, when we go through those tough times, that's what we need to be thinking about. And here Paul's saying, I'm returning him to you, not as a, as a servant, but as a brother. Wow. You think of a, a master and, and slave relationship, and now as brothers, now as, as equals, not necessarily social status, but in Christ. We're all equal in Christ, but we're all different as well. And we function differently, don't we? And aren't you glad that we function differently? I've used this illustration before, the illustration of a car. What's more important, the engine or the wheels? What gets more attention? The engine or the wheels. It depends on what kind of a person you are. You care about the engine or you care about the wheels, but you need both. It doesn't matter if you have all the power in the world. If you don't have good wheels, are you going to make it through this snow? No. It doesn't matter if you have 18-wheel drive. If you're, if you're driving on bald tires, you know, it's going to be tough. But if you have good tires, even two-wheel drive will get you through the craziest of weather. They serve different functions. Some might get more recognized than others. Wheels are fancy, shiny. Engines can be very ugly sometimes. And they're hidden under the hood. You don't don't see it as often. So here, brother. So think about that. It doesn't matter what your stature is. If if you're a doctor, right? Or if you're uh, a lowly person, uh, you know, a garbage collector. Both are needed. And both in Christ are the same. And then he says here, both physically and spiritually. Man, it's, it's amazing, the life change here. And here, Paul is just talking about the benefits, about, about Onesimus' life and how it's changed. Well, let's continue on. Verse 17, so if you consider me your partner, right, he's talking to Philemon as his partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me. 
for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Man, there's a lot of things here. And, and you can see, Paul, now in our culture, see, Paul's kind of working on Hey, if, if you say, if you're truly my partner, you'll do this. Right? And we say, right, if you love me, you'll do, you'll do this. And again, culture is different, and you've got to take it in context. What Paul was doing was, was nothing out of the ordinary. Paul wasn't trying to be manipulative. Paul was just doing customary things. But he says, if you're my partner, you'll do this. If, if you want to glorify God, you'll do this. You know, and Paul is even willing to pay financially on his account. Because if a slave just runs away, is that going to cost the, the master, the owner, something? Yeah. If you're, if you're a boss and somebody just doesn't show up to work or somebody just ups and leaves, does that cost the company anything? Yeah. Either they got to call somebody else in, hire somebody else, or maybe they just lose business for that, for that day or that shift. And so when, when Onesimus left, Philemon, Onesimus's responsibilities either weren't done or now he had to pay somebody else to either rent another slave or purchase another slave so that Onesimus's job could get done. Also, perhaps Onesimus even stole money to finance his, his trip to, to Rome. And Paul says, I'm willing to pay. And it's funny too because what Paul says here, don't you love when people say, I'm not going to mention this but by not mentioning this, he's mentioning this. Right? He says, I, Paul, write, with, write this with my own hand. Which was, so this was like a legal document as well. To say nothing of you're owing me even your own life. I'm not going to mention the fact that you owe me your life. He just mentioned that you owe me your life. Now, we don't know exactly what that means. Most people think that Paul also led Philemon to the Lord. Maybe he saved his, his life, like physically. Most people think, again, it's his spiritual life. Could be. I, I, I don't honestly know. But you look at that and say, Paul says, you owe me, but I'm not going to collect on that. But do it because it's, it's the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do. Paul wants something, and he tells Philemon what it is that he wants. And Paul says, I'm confident that you're going to do it. Now, let's think about this, for instance. This letter, was it a private letter from Paul to Philemon only? Who was it written to? If we go back, verse 1 and 2, it's like, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, which was probably Philemon's wife, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, which was probably their son, and the church in your house. So even though this letter is to Philemon, who's going to hear about it? Everybody. Talk about being put on the spot. Everybody knows, okay, Paul, the Apostle Paul, is making this request to Philemon. Now Philemon has a choice to make. And it's his choice. He could say no. And what was the punishment for a slave in this situation? Well, Philemon could have... Onesimus beaten. He could have him tattooed with a mark. He could even put something like a, like a, a metal collar around him, like a dog collar that says runaway slave. If found, return to, you know, with their ad, you know, name and address to there. He could have done all those things. 
Now think about Onesimus. You're a runaway slave. You offended Philemon by running away. And who delivers this letter to Philemon? Onesimus. Wow. Think about that for a second. You're Onesimus. You're you're a runaway slave. You come to Christ, and now here your, your spiritual leader, Paul, asks you to carry this letter to the person who could severely beat you legally. No questions asked. Would you return that letter? Would you return back home to your master? Do you think Onesimus had a little bit of faith there? Yeah. You know, we don't know exactly what happens. However, church history stays. Now, Onesimus was a common name. But later on, right after this period, there was a bishop, a church leader, and his name was Onesimus. And some people think that this was the same person. We don't know for certain because of last names and, you know, not having really genealogy. But wouldn't that be amazing? Can God use a runaway slave as a church leader? Can God transform the life of somebody as despicable as a runaway slave? Because slaves already in that culture didn't have a whole lot of standing. But to be a runaway slave, that is scum. Can God use somebody like that? Absolutely. Because God's word transforms our lives. And so we, we just take that all into account and how Paul's just willing to pay. And Paul's saying, hey, I vouch for this guy. His, rec- his letter of recommendation. Have you ever given a letter of recommendation to somebody? Has somebody ever asked for a letter of recommendation? And you're like, I really don't want to. I don't want my name attached to them. Yeah. It's tough. It's tough. Well, let's finish up here. Let's just read uh, the final greeting. Verse, uh, starting with verse 23. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Quick, short, sweet, typical gre- greeting. But if we hang out, if we slow down in that greeting... Whose name is mentioned there? Four letters, he wrote a gospel. There's two of them. Luke is one, which Luke was there with the travels, but what's the other name that's crazy that it's in here? Mark. Why? We went through Acts. Why is it crazy that Mark is here? If you remember, Mark was related to Barnabas, nephew, they went on their first missionary journey, and what did Mark do on their first missionary journey? He left them, bailed on them. Maybe similar to Onesimus bailing on Philemon. And when they were getting ready to go on their second missionary journey, what was Paul's response when Barnabas wanted to bring Mark? No way. Absolutely not. He's worthless. I need somebody I can count on. Now, who's with him in prison? Mark. Mark came back. Paul eventually gave Mark a second chance. 
And if, Onet, and if Philemon knew all this, he's reading, he's like, oh, Mark? Huh, Mark. Not Mark, not the guy that you swore off and said, I will never use him ever again. He's completely useless to me in ministry. Mark is mentioned here. And if you know the context and you know the history, if you did a study on, on Mark, you'll know that this is amazing that Mark is listed in this passage in this, at the end of this book. Maybe what Paul is saying is, hey, I'm not asking you to do anything that I haven't done. And maybe Paul knows the hardship of what he's asking Philemon to do. Because has anybody ever wronged you? God, I'll forgive everybody except them. Maybe somebody wronged you when somebody else is saying, hey, this guy is great. And you're like, you don't know him like I know him. So in conclusion, from today, we talked about three main people in the book of Philemon. And we could go, again, we could go deeper in this. But maybe you're someone like Paul, you know, and God's asking you to take a risk on someone. Maybe somebody who's failed before and given a, maybe God's asking you to give them a second chance. Is it hard to give somebody else a second chance? But is it easy to ask somebody else for a second chance? It's amazing how easy it is to ask for a second chance. Maybe you're like Onesimus and you need to be forgiven. Maybe you've done something wrong. I know you have done something wrong. So have I. We're all sinners. Maybe you need to ask for forgiveness. Or maybe you're like Philemon who's being called to forgive somebody else. Like I said, we could spend weeks in this book. But you may be one of those three types of people. Maybe through the book of Philemon. Maybe Philemon is the first book you want to study. Go back and reread it. Search out these people, who they, who they are, what they've done, what they're known for. When you know these people and you know their past, you know the culture of master and slave, which is different than, than slavery was here in America you might get a whole lot of transformation from this passage maybe God is working in your life somehow let's close in a word of prayer